Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. This episode is sponsored by Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. How do they do it? Like us, Girls Can Crate believes that real women make the best heroes. And every month they deliver them to your doorstep. This episode is also sponsored by our Patreon sponsors, Jessica Smith, Brenda Larson, Bella, Heidi Hutchison, Sarah Bingham, Monique Harris-Pixado, Caitlin McTaggart, Lindsay Cummings, Mandy Booty, Jamie Lang, Maria Carla Sanchez, Chantel Oliver, Valerie Jacobson, Ellen Gross, Jill Harrigan, Heather McKinnon, and this episode is in memory of Craig Williamson. Hi, Katie. Hi, Olivia. There is a category of women who we have not covered at all on this podcast yet. Oh, well, I'm sure there's like a yeah, hundred. There's, there's many, <laughs> yes. But this particular category, anyone who knows our family, I think would have expected us to talk about within like the first three episodes. Oh. Well, so having said that, who's missing? Who's missing? Mm. Who is our family uniquely obsessed with? Oh, we're doing a pirate. We're doing a pirate. Yes. Pirate queen. She is a pirate queen. She's not the pirate queen that I think you probably have called for your right. own. I mean, she's my favorite <laughs> person in history. Grace O'Malley. <laughs> She's yeah. coming. So I'm not stealing Grace okay, O'Malley good. because I didn't want you to beat me up. Okay, good. Instead, we're doing my favorite pirate queen. Oh, 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 oh. Can I guess? Yes. Ching, she. Yes. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> I am so excited for this. I've been meaning to learn more about her. I only know the basics. And every time I think about her, I'm like, this lady, incredible. She is incredible. Although... I mean, I'm delighted, delighted that we're doing a pirate. I mean, is she too famous for our podcast? Ah, I thought you might say that. Okay. So I checked. You checked? Uh, I checked. <laughs> you know, we sort of have this unofficial rule. If more than like two out of ten people have heard of a woman, then she's okay. too famous to do an episode, right? Yeah. And also, we are notoriously bad at knowing who is and isn't known, <laughs> being enormous women's history nerds uh -huh. who think that everyone is known. <laughs> so I tested it out and got some people on the street to see if they knew Qingxia. Fun. Hey, could you name some pirates for me? Uh, Blackbeard, uh, Captain Kid. Blackbeard... <laughs> Blackbeard? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> Blackbeard, Captain Jack Sparrow, Elizabeth Swan. Real pirates. Oh, Captain <laughs> Kidd. Hmm. Have you ever heard of Ching Shi or Ching Sha? No. No. 
I knew women pirates because we had a book on women pirates. Ooh, can you name and some I, of them? No, because no. I don't recall them. <laughs> I've definitely read articles on them of school. I, I still terrible. remember. Blackbeard? I can name fictional pirates. <laughs> can you think of any women pirates? Definitely not. If there are any, I would assume there's very little. I don't know a lot about pirates. Whoa. So that answers that. We can okay. officially talk about her. But even if she was more well-known, I think I would still do an episode because even though her name is getting more well-known. Right, yeah, she is having a real rebirth right now. Yeah. Especially once you learn to recognize her by all her different names, then you're like, oh, this is all the same woman that everybody's talking about. Yeah. She's also known as Zheng Yixiao, Shi Yang, Shi Zhangyu, Qing She, or Qing Shi. She has mm -hmm. a lot of names. Hmm. Well, and, and, you know, we've noticed that in our Chinese episodes. Wu Zhao, who is known by many different names, none of which were actually her name. Yeah. You know, she's named after the gate where she got married or <laughs> the place where her father came from. I'm going to say Ching Shu because that's the way that it goes in my head with my Mandarin speaking. <laughs> but she is mostly called Ching Shi in the Western world. Okay. I'll say Ching Shi. People maybe know her name, but they don't know any of the details of her life. Yeah. People just kind of know the bare basics. Like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she is completely fascinating. Yay! I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating Women You've Never Heard Of. My guest is also completely fascinating and very exciting. My name is Dr. Jamie Goodall, and I'm a staff historian at the U.S. Army Center of Military History. And previously, I taught for about four or five years at Stevenson University, which is just outside of Baltimore, Maryland. I focus particularly on pirates of the Atlantic world, but I did a National Geographic bookazine, which brought me into pirates throughout the globe, which was a really interesting deep dive that I hadn't done before. The author of Pirates of the Chesapeake Bay and oh. that really fantastic National Geographic on Pirates that came out Fun. a few months ago, if anyone cool. saw that, amazing. You should absolutely go get it. She also has two more books on pirates and piracy coming out in the next two years. Her Twitter feed is an amazing treasure trove of pirate information. She's oh, basically wow. the go-to expert on all things pirate right now. How fun. And I'm a huge fan of her work, so I was really excited to talk to her. First, let's talk about that name that came up a lot in my Woman on the Street interviews. Blackbeard. Yeah. Probably the most famous pirate, at least mm -hmm. in the Western world. And he was pretty impressive. Right. Blackbeard commanded four ships. He was in charge of over 300 pirates and absolutely ruled the seas as a pirate for two years. Impressive stuff. He was the terror of the high seas. There's a reason that he is super famous. Sure. Flaming beard and all. Ching Shu. Also pretty impressive. She commanded 
1,800 ships. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and about 70,000 pirates. Okay. <laughs> and was basically in charge of the entire pirate confederation of the South China Sea for 10 years. <laughs> so... It totally makes sense that she's not as famous as Blackbeard. <laughs> she didn't have a flaming beard, what can she I say? She didn't have a flaming beard. She was quite literally the most powerful pirate in the history of the world. Yeah, amazing. And we should probably know her story a little better than we do. So, let's meet her. I came across Ching Shi when I was researching women pirates in general, and I had never heard of her before. And probably part of that has to do with the fact that we're very Anglo-centric when it comes to piracy. We tend to focus on the more famous English pirates who operated in the Atlantic world. And sometimes they operated in the Indian Ocean, but we just have this very Eurocentric view of piracy. I came across her again when I was working on the National Geographic magazine. She was born approximately 1775 in Guangdong, and she was active primarily in the early 1800s. And the time period when she gets started, like, it's later than the Golden Age of Piracy, right? The Golden Age of Piracy is over, and maybe that's why people don't really think about her as a pirate, because she's like hundred years after everybody else. Well, and the golden age of piracy in the West might be over. Uh-huh. But in the East, it is... It's just getting started. At its peak, yeah. The, cool. It is the best time to be a pirate in Asia <laughs> when she is coming up in the ranks. Pirates were pretty active throughout the South China Seas from about the mid to late 18th century into the 20th century. Many of the pirates who operated in this region were actually trained by the Taesong dynasty of Vietnam. Uh, and Vietnam's gonna be very important to Ching Shi, as we'll see. Ching Shi started from pretty humble beginnings. Don't they always? Well, no, they don't always. They actually, don't always. But... There are some princesses that <laughs> yeah. <are> pirates. <laughs> but we are pretty sure that she started pretty low. As far as we can tell, Xingxia began her career as a Cantonese sex worker. <laughs> some say that her family sold her into sex work as a means of supplementing the family income. She may have been one of the Danga people who are an ethnic minority group in southern China who lived and still do often live on junks, boats, huh. all along the coasts of China and mm. South Asia and are mostly fishermen. And while she is working in this what may have been a floating brothel, huh. In 1801, as a sex worker is when she met Ching Yi, who was a notorious pirate. He fell immediately in love with her, at least according to legend, and decided that he wanted to marry her. And she accepted, 
on one condition. On their marriage, she would get an equal share of his pirate fleet. <laughs> and he agreed. Ha! So at their marriage, she takes over approximately 300 ships. Dang. That's a pretty big leap. 300. For someone who has not been a pirate or a sailor or... Yeah. And she immediately begins maneuvering her way into a leadership position. I mean, uh, she must just have this incredible, forceful personality to be able to pull that off. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the most remarkable things about her story is Mm. this is going to upend a lot of our narratives about piracy, about women on the high seas, about where you gain the skill sets to be an effective pirate captain. Mm. A whole bunch of stuff is about to fall apart for us here. The region was very uh, conducive to piracy because of its complex coastal geography, which allowed pirates to kind of sneak in and out of areas and evade capture from government officials. Lots of little inlets and hidden coves everywhere, making Mm. it very, very hard to patrol and to Ah. it's very easy to disappear, come out of nowhere, attack, disappear again. Huh. There was also a lot of territorial disputes among the seaside states of the region. And there's a ton, just a, a massive volume of vessel traffic passing through the South China Sea. And there's plenty of room for pirates to take advantage of this chaos and reap really rich rewards while these military navies are paying attention to each other instead of Mm. the pirates. One really important difference that we need to understand between East and West here was really crucial to Qingxia's rise. Unlike in the West, in South China, there was no stigma attached to women being on board a ship or being bad luck for a ship. Um, That's very much a Western cultural tradition. So this enabled Qingxi to to really rise through the ranks of of pirates. You know, in the the West, we have this very established pattern, as anyone who's seen Pirates of the Caribbean knows, that having a woman on board is bad luck. Yeah. That is not a thing in the East. Nobody cares. So are there lots of female pirates? There are. And especially once Qingxia takes over, there is a lot more gender equality in the piracy game. Oh. But there has never been this sort of gendered segregation on board ships that we see in the West. Interesting. And though, of course, there's obvious lots of misogyny and sexism in general in this area, it's just regular old sexism, not special nautical <laughs> sexism. <laughs> That means she can rise through the ranks as herself without the pattern that we see with a lot of female pirates in the West of first they pretended to be a man until they took power. Mm -hmm. She's just herself from the very beginning. So by 1805, Qingxia is functioning sort of as an equal to her husband. She is commanding a large portion of the ships in their fleet. And she is 
the leader absolute over these ships. She's not subservient to her husband. She is in charge. Mm -hmm. And she can see that the infighting that's happening within the pirate community, where they're attacking each other and taking Mm. each other out, is making them very vulnerable to the increasing attacks by Western forces. The Portuguese Navy, the British Navy, are starting to become more and more heavily involved in this area. She can see the writing on the wall and knows that it is either band together or be destroyed. And so she's like the Boudicca of the South China Sea. She is. She is. <laughs> she's like an ambassador. I mean, she is incredible at getting mm. people to talk to one another, at getting them to see that they're all on the same side and mm. that it would be a benefit to them to band together. And so by 1805, she organizes the pirate community (laughs) and forms the Guangdong Pirate Confederation. Yeah. Oh, this is a, it's a loose organization, but a strong one. And pretty much every major pirate group within the entire South China Sea have all agreed to give up a little bit of their own autonomy and answer to a higher authority Mm. in order to benefit all of them. Boy. Now, there are six flag color groups. On paper, her husband controls the red flag group. Really, Qingxia is in charge of a, a major portion of that. But she's the one who has formed this confederation, and she and her husband are really the de facto leaders of this entire group of all of the pirates in Asia. Wow. Let's pause for just a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Every crate features an inspiring woman, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEAM activities and more. And for our listeners, if you go to girlscancrate.com and use the code HERNAME, all caps, you'll get 20% off your first month's crate on any subscription. So when I first heard about these crates, I thought they seemed really cool. But I have to say, when my kids got their first crate, I was genuinely amazed. It really exceeded my expectations. And they would make an amazing gift. Check them out now at girlscancrate.com. And when you order, make sure you use the coupon code HERNAME, all caps, so that they know we sent you. It's the coldest of cold cases. Five women murdered and mutilated in Victorian London. But trust me, everything you think you know about Jack the Ripper and his victims is wrong. I'm historian Hallie Rubenhold, and when I went back into the records, it became clear that the real story of those murdered women is richer and far more disturbing than we'd ever been told. Listen to Bad Women, The Ripper Retold on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. There were also Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese pirates. In Japan, they were known as Woku. The Woku weren't just of Japanese ethnicity. They could be Korean. They could be Chinese. It was just the name that the Japanese gave to pirates who operated in the region. But the Taesan dynasty 
was an incredibly powerful group and they used piracy to their advantage to maintain a prominent presence in the region. And so a lot of Chinese pirates developed relationships with the Taesong dynasty as a means of learning more about piracy and how they could be most effective negotiating with governments and different types of officials and how that works in reality versus sort of your imagination, if you will. For Ching Shi, the connection to Vietnam was not just that a lot of the pirates that she oversaw had received instruction from the Taesan dynasty, but also that it is the location where her husband is killed. Some say he was killed by members of the dynasty. Some say he was killed by natural disaster just off the coast of Vietnam. There's no real concrete evidence of what happened to Chang Yi. In 1807, he's dead. And the leadership of the entire pirate confederacy is up for grabs. Mm. Xingxia immediately takes control. And she solidifies that control by banding together with her stepson. Zheng Bao was kidnapped as a teenager by his eventual adoptive father, Zheng Yi, and then (laughs) became the adopted son of this pirate king and goes on to become Qing She's second husband, eventually. Wait, uh, stepson becomes husband? Her stepson becomes her husband. Okay. (laughs) All right. This was a really smart move. They seem to have been genuinely fond of each other, but also it's a really smart political move because he's the heir apparent. And she chose him because of his loyalties to Chang Yi and the idea that the crew members were also really loyal to him. And she figured that by marrying him, she could further secure her leadership role. Well, those adoptive relationships, they're really, really common, almost the norm among pirates. Yeah, I mean, this is how you build your dynasty is they believe in chosen families yeah and that makes sense if you need to you know how much differently could most of the major royalty houses have gone if you could pick someone who was good at the job (laughs) instead of just your kid (laughs) so Qingxia takes over as commander of the entire fleet her stepson is now commander of the red flag fleet and Qingxia is in charge of the entire pirate federation By that point, she commanded over 1,800 ships. So a massive jump in the number of ships in her fleet, commanding over 70,000 men and women. That is crazy. I mean, it is, it's mind boggling. It's, it's an empire of the sea. I mean, she's an empress. It is. She really is. Ships. But it's more, to me, this is one of the most fascinating parts. This is totally destroying our narrative of what pirates are. When we think of an effective pirate captain, a good pirate leader, we have a very specific image in our mind. This is a macho, masculine leader who is fierce and strong and scary. Mm -hmm. It's more about bravado and physical Mm. strength. Mm -hmm. And 
Apparently, what actually really matters in this style of piracy is management skills. <laughs> she's a CEO. Yeah. She's managing this enormous workforce. But do you think she was scary? I'm I mean, sure she had to be, right? Yeah. She has to be a fierce, scary warrior pirate. And mm -hmm. really good at HR. Yeah. <laughs> she has to know how to manage people and she's running a business i mean yeah she is managing this huge enterprise that is scattered all across the ocean and she is so effective at it that she is unchallenged for 10 years yeah a pirate bureaucrat yeah that's an, this is not how we think of pirates mm -hmm. it's still a very swashbuckling career but well maybe by by 1805 like i said it's like a hundred years after the atlantic pirates they've professionalized and they figured it out and she's <laughs> like the reason that blackbeard got annihilated off the coast of north carolina is because he didn't have his spreadsheets put together right <laughs> maybe she just hacked piracy and yeah. figured it out well clearly i mean she she was spectacularly successful hmm and I think it, this really also does demonstrate the clear major difference between Western piracy and Eastern piracy. Mm. We, I think especially in the last few years, uh, we've been rewriting the narrative around what pirates are, right? When growing up, pirates were this very chaotic, dangerous, desperate, yeah. you know, they, they were the bad guys mm -hmm. and that's what made them fun. And now it's become much more popular to talk about pirates as this democratic yeah. sort of nation state, right? This floating utopian ideal yeah. of equality. And as Dr. Goodall points out, that's true to varying degrees. There is a lot of democratic ideal going on in a lot of these pirate ships. Although she spends a lot of time reminding people that they were still bad guys. <laughs> These were still murderers. They weren't oh, nice people. <laughs> this isn't a utopian ideal that we should aspire to as humanity. <laughs> but the lawless wild outlaws of the movies or this utopian democratic ideal are not the model for this type of piracy. In the South China Sea... This is not a democratic model. This is extremely authoritarian. This is extreme hierarchy, very stratified layers of power here. She's at the top. Everyone knows where they stand, and you don't get out of line. Mm. Now, that's extremely Chinese, right? This is sort of mm. Confucian mm -hmm. ideal sure. piracy. Hierarchy, order, obedience, clarity. Mm -hmm. That makes her success even more striking to me because she really is in control of all of this. She's the boss and the fleet sinks her sails based on her leadership. Yeah. So the fact that she was extremely successful, that they were almost unstoppable for a decade, is pretty astonishing. She really must have been an absolute genius at her job. 
I think it's really interesting because I don't think she initially had a plan beyond just wanting to be in charge of this pirate federation. But she very quickly developed a strong set of codes, like a code of laws for her federation. She creates a pirate's code that is extremely different than the pirate code in the West. Hmm. This pirate code is very much not guidelines. They are actual rules. <laughs> and you will be held to them on pain of death. No disobedience will be tolerated. Any pirate giving his own orders or disobeying those of a superior was to be beheaded on the spot. So better listen to her or else. Most interestingly to me, a lot of very clear rules laid out around the treatment of female captives. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if a pirate raped a female captive, he would be put to death. Even if you marry a female oh. captive and it's <laughs> consensual, right? She consents to marry you and you get married. He had to be faithful to her or he would be tortured and murdered. Wow. You will be faithful to your wife. Huh. This is not the piracy that we are used <laughs> to thinking about. And though this is a perpetual controversy, whether these rules are created by Zheng Bao, her stepson slash husband, or by Qing She. Given the, the treatment of women, I suspect that she had a significant influence on those codes I don't think that's something Chung Pao would have necessarily taken upon himself to map out. I think those laws really speak to what she's hoping to achieve, which is this equality between men and women in this world where men dominated. And this provided women opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise had to make money beyond being a sex worker or working in the fields or, you know, living in abject poverty. So... I think that's probably what she was trying to achieve. Once stepson slash husband Zheng Bao takes over the Red Fleet, he begins attacking the Chinese Imperial fleets in earnest. Oh. And in one year, he destroys half of the Chinese provincial fleet. Dang. He was very good at his job, too. Wow. And the pirates take over a huge, huge chunk of ground, I guess, water, ocean, yeah. <laughs> and move up the Pearl River where they've never been before. This is really important. This means they effectively control shipping for the entire area. And then in 1809, uh -oh. Qingxia is under attack by the Portuguese and Zheng Bao arrives with ships to aid her when the Portuguese ships, six of them to be precise, round the corner and mm. start firing on Qingxia and Zheng Bao. And then 93 ships from the Chinese fleet join the Portuguese and blockade. Qingxia and Zheng Bao are trapped in this bay. For about two weeks, there's a standoff. Two weeks? Finally, the head of the Chinese fleet gets frustrated that nothing's happening. And so he sets 43 of his ships on fire. Oh, classic. And 
pushes them toward the pirates. Oh. Exactly. He's turned his own ships into weapons. He pulled a Francis Drake. <laughs> and he's hoping it'll work. And he's hoping it'll set the pirate ships on fire. Yeah. The pirates are better than that. They divert the fire uh -oh. ships, tow them on shore, put the fire out, and use them for firewood. <laughs> Except for two of the fire ships that are still floating in the bay when the wind changes. Ah! And they are blown back into the Chinese fleet, light two of the Chinese fleet's own ships on fire, and taking advantage of the wind and that distraction, Zheng Pao and Qing She break through the blockade and escape. <laughs> what? The Chinese fleet lost 46 ships, at least 74 men. The pirates lost zero ships and 40 men. Wow. It was <laughs> just things like this keep happening. They're very clever. They're mm. patient. They don't make stupid decisions. And working together as a team, they can outsmart pretty much every fleet that comes at them. <laughs> they are unstoppable. But as the years pass, Qingxia can tell the tides are turning. The European powers are coming in and they are much harder to combat than the Chinese provincial mm -hmm. fleet. Having seen many of her pirate cohort suffer the fate of execution at the hands of the British or Portuguese, she decides to retire. Oh. <laughs> She leads a delegation of 17 women and children to Guangzhou and negotiates with the Qing representative, a man named Bai Ling. He agrees to her terms, freedom, 20 to 30 ships that they can keep in a private fleet. Wow. And none of their pirates will be punished or executed. What? He agrees, which is amazing. Wow. This is the most notorious pirate in history. That's very trusting, too, like, that he believes that she she can just say to everybody, and we're yeah. done. We won't be pirates anymore, and they'll all just stop. Yeah, I mean, he must really have believed that she was the boss. Yeah. And that she was <laughs> honest, right? Honesty among thieves. Or maybe sure. she's just so powerful that he doesn't dare say no i mean you know what what's the mm. alternative here it's an amazing interaction and i would give almost anything to be a fly on the wall and see what actually oh, happened me there too ah oh. but the end result is that she and chung bao surrender 17318 pirates 226 <laughs> ships and retire to the country Wow. And was nobody really nobody punished? Nobody was punished. Ah. All of these pirates simply retired. Many of them are absorbed Wait. into the Chinese military, including Zheng Bao, who becomes a lieutenant in the Chinese Navy. <gasps> wow. Well, that was wise. Right. Like, take Use these the skills. Leaders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so they all lived happily ever after? Well, she sure did. 
she died at 69 years old. Leading a relatively peaceful life after the death of Chung Pao. She was allegedly the proprietor of an infamous gambling house somewhere in Guangdong. So by all accounts, she led this very successful pirate life and then led a very successful post-retirement life. <laughs> she had a lovely financially secure retirement and died right. rich and happy. I mean, it really, it does feel very <laughs> made up and storybook, but it's what actually happened. And yeah. again, I, I just love the way she breaks all these narratives. I love the way she's changing the way we think about what leadership might look mm, like. Yeah. And, and what the end of piracy might yeah. look like. <laughs> they might just get tired and be like, yeah. ah. how much smarter to just kind of pay off your pirates with a few ships in a gambling house, yeah. give a few of them military positions and let them fight on your side as the mm -hmm. Portuguese are becoming a threat to China. Let's fight them instead of our own pirates. Yeah. And just leave them alone. I, I mean, it's very <laughs> odd. I like it. You know, any woman who can bring together 70,000 pirates, that's a skilled negotiator. Yeah, too bad they didn't put her in the government. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe she could have saved Yeah, China. what else could she have accomplished, <laughs> who right? Who knows? One thing I had not thought of that I find totally fascinating that Dr. Goodall points out is where she acquired those skills. Mm. Her business acumen, like her ability to negotiate and her political savvy all comes from her role as a sex worker where she was involved with politicians and government officials and businessmen of varying ranks. And so she had a lot of street smarts and she used those to her advantage, which was really important to her rise as Pirate Queen. All of these skills seem to have come with her mm. from her days as a sex worker. And she was involved with very high-ranking men. She had insider knowledge, and she is using those skills to her advantage in this new career. Sure. And I think clearly one thing that you learn in that career is how to get men to agree with you and to think that it had all been their idea in the first place. I can absolutely yeah. see a scenario where Biling is 100% convinced that this was his idea and he convinced the most notorious pirate in history to sure. retire. He's a hero <laughs> and she got exactly what she wanted. And just absolutely brilliant and so confounding and fascinating. One of the interesting aspects of Ching Shi is that she's brought to the Western world through Pirates of the Caribbean, the franchise. Mistress Ching, one of the nine pirate lords, is inspired by Ching Shi. Being a lesser known figure, I think more and more people are interested in her life. 
hopefully over time we can take a less Eurocentric view of piracy and maybe we'll uncover more women in the East compared to in the West who engaged in piratical activities. It would be great to have like a Ching Shi pirate film. <laughs> I love her and I hope that we find out more as people are really digging into her story and something that's been sort of ignored because piracy for Westerners has been a Western story. When this was a huge operation, this was yeah. way, way bigger than any European piracy or American piracy. And there's so many stories to tell here. All of these women who were pirates under Qingxia, all of these people yeah. who were operating this entirely different system. And I really hope we start to see more of those stories coming out because I think there's a whole new world of ways to look at this that mm. are opening up. And I am very, very excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm here for it. So, Dr. Goodall's book is amazing. Pirates of the Chesapeake Bay. Absolutely incredible book. Highly encourage you to read it. The National Geographic issue is incredible. We have links to all of those on our website. So everybody go check those out because if you like pirates, you're going to love it. Fun. And if you don't like pirates, what is wrong with you? For more information about Qingxia, as well as links and information to Jamie Goodall's website and the books and magazines we've mentioned, check out our website at whatshernamepodcast.com. Music for this episode was provided by Doug Maxwell, Kevin McLeod, I Think I Can Help You, and Aaron Kenny. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle. Yes! 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 Oh no! <laughs> my garage band crashed because of the loudness <laughs> of my yes. <laughs> wow! My, <laughs> my recorder crashed because of the loudness of my yes. I'm back. Wow! Totally worth it. Ha, 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 ha.